You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans who are listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. To get this show every day, follow us wherever you get your podcast. You can also tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Mets. This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join me on Wednesdays to get in on the action. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Now the Mets... Simply put, got their asses kicked on Wednesday night. There's really nothing else to be said about that. I'm going to talk about the game in the first segment. In the second segment, I have to harp on this J.D. Davis situation at third base because it has not looked pretty the last couple of nights, and the Mets have some decisions to make on how long they can continue to watch him make costly mistakes out in the field. So we'll go through that. Finally, in the third segment, really excited to introduce a new running theme on Thursdays. We're going to do Throwback Thursday segments with Brian Wright, a Mets historian, who has written a couple of books on the Mets. We're going to go through his first book, which is Mets and Tens. I'll talk about that a little bit more later on. Before we get to any of that, though, I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on Twitter at FinkelsteinRyan. You can also find some of my writing about the Mets at MetsmerizeOnline.com. So in this game, the Mets jumped out to an early lead, and it looked like it was going to be a joyous night of Mets baseball. I talked about Locker Room, which today's episode is brought to you by. I was on Locker Room because it's a Wednesday. We were having a good conversation. There was a lot of people in the chat. It was fun. The Mets are winning. And then everything went downhill in the fourth. But before that, in the first inning, Francisco Lindor crushed his first home run of the season. And I will take a little bit of credit because before the game on Twitter, I predicted that this would be the night that Lindor finally went yard. And he did. I also predicted that Jeff McNeil would get two hits. I believe he only got one. And I say I believe because I stopped watching this game in, I want to say the seventh inning. And so down the stretch, I don't necessarily know what happened. I was following along with my phone out of frustration. And I will also say, tonight you're getting me a little bit off the cuff. Not as much stats and research went into this podcast. Because why would I research what was a disaster? And we're going to get to that disaster in just a minute. But I do want to spend you know a little second here talking about Lindor. Because he went 3 for 4 in this blowout monstrosity. And one thing about Lindor is he has said in the past that it usually takes a single swing that will just kind of lock him in, and from there he can go on a roll. And we saw it happen in spring training where he pulled a home run, very similar to this one, when he was batting from the left side, and then he went on kind of a flurry of hitting a bunch of home runs. So the fact that he hits this home run in the first inning and then gets two more hits throughout the night, that is a really good sign moving forward. Now let's just get right down to where this game fell apart, though. David Peterson looked great in the early innings. Needed 34 pitches to get through the lineup the first time. He walked a batter, had two strikeouts, 
Got a double play to erase that walk. So he retired the lineup in order. Had a no-hitter going into the fourth inning. He started the inning off with a strikeout. Then he gave up three straight singles, which scored a run. Now, early on, was not giving up hard contact. The Cubs were just finding holes, running the bases well, doing what they had to do to scratch together runs, similar to what they did in Game 1 of this series. But the Mets had an opportunity to hold on to a lead and avoid everything that I feel happened after this one moment. And that is where J.D. Davis gets a tailor-made double play ball, and he boots it. Ground ball hit right at him. A hard hit ball off the bat of Javi Baez. If you have a good third baseman, very easy for them to field it. Make that quick throw to second. Double play, you get out of the inning. David Peterson's in the dugout, probably at like 45 pitches, still feeling good about himself. What happens though? Davis boots the ball, hits off the heel of his glove, can't get to it, or he does get to it, but doesn't get to it in time as the throw is late to second base. Probably should have gone to first to get a sure out. Overall, that was the game. As much as you want to talk about the Mets kicking the ball around after that, some bad pitching out of the bullpen, I understand that a lot of people played bad tonight. But if you know anything about baseball, there are certain plays that can swing the momentum of a game, and that was one of those plays. If Davis makes that double play, the Mets still have the lead. They're still feeling good. Pete Alonso, the next inning, hits a two-run homer, which at the time cut the deficit from 7-2 to 7-4. to But who knows, you know, had that inning ended prior to all those runs coming in, maybe the Mets are up at that point 4-1 to instead of being down 7-4, to and the entire outlook of the game is different. Maybe David Peterson at a low pitch count is still confident, goes back out and pitches two or three more innings. But everything falls apart after that play. Peterson walks in a run, then he gives up a blue base hit. I mean, just a little flare that got over Jeff McNeil's head. And that was really how his night ended. Gazelman comes in, allows all of the inherited runners to score. And again, the Cubs went up 7-2 at the time. Pete Alonso crushes a home run the next inning. Have to shout him out because it was an exit velo of 115.4 miles per hour. They say the ball only traveled 429 feet. It looked a lot farther than that. But that was the last bright spot of this game. Really, it's not even worth spending any more energy talking about the specifics. The Mets lose, what was the final score, 16-4? to uh, <laughs> Luis Guillorme gets into pitch at the end. It was just... An absolute train wreck. So in a minute, I want to go back, though, and talk about what's going on with J.D. Davis because this Mets team has some decisions to make, and it might be time to look elsewhere instead of continually putting this guy into the lineup and putting yourself in a bad position defensively. So we'll get into that in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download And once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. I will be hosting Locker Rooms on Wednesdays for Locked On Mets, so you can finally join in on the conversation you listen to here every day. Tonight, I was on, I think, probably from the bottom of the first through that terrible fourth inning, and it was a lot of fun. We went back and forth 
a good time. So I really hope you guys join me. You just have to go and download the free locker room app now, which is currently available on all of your iOS devices. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, join the MLB group for the latest league updates, and follow me at Finkelstein Ryan to be notified when my room goes live. I know you won't want to miss it. I'm planning to be live every week around game time at 7 or 8 o'clock on Wednesdays. I can't wait to hear from everyone. I will see you there. Locker room, changing the way we talk sports. One reason to repair and maintain your cars is to save money that you can use for other important things like your mortgage or food. So why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, maybe even 100% more for the exact same amount of parts at a chain store or new car dealership? When you can just use rockauto.com, a family business that's been serving auto parts to customers online for 20 years. They have everything you could want from engine control modules to brake parts, tan lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks and have it delivered directly to your door. Go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck, and make sure you write locked on in there. How'd you hear about us, box? So they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliable little prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. The Locked On Podcast Network is covering the NFL Draft from all angles. Catch up on the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 podcast presented by Odyssey. Follow Locked On NFL Draft and the Draft Dudes podcast for the latest draft news. And stay tuned later on in this episode for more info about our live NFL Draft coverage. So now let's talk about J.D. Davis a little bit more. Because later on in this game, he didn't necessarily make an error, I don't believe. But there was another ball hit to him where he had a chance to turn two. And once again, we saw that double clutch. To me, it's clear right now that mentally, he is just shot when it comes to all these expectations being placed on him. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy when you have people like me, quite honestly, saying this guy can't play third. You're hearing it from all angles. People are writing about it. So then even though he isn't a good defensive third baseman, he never was, it almost just becomes more likely to continue to happen as we continue to report on it and talk about it. And I hate to be another person burying J.D. Davis on this day that I'm sure he's hearing it from all directions. But it's my job to analyze this team. And I'm sorry, I've been saying it since 2019. All through last year, I was saying it as well. J.D. Davis is not a good defensive player. And he hurts you at third base. And for me... If there was no other option, if we were talking about J.D. Davis or Todd Frazier, I would say, well, you know, how much of an upgrade is Todd Frazier, you know, defensively compared to Davis? Probably a lot, but what's the the trade-off offensively? Todd Frazier is probably a little bit washed at this point. Maybe it's better to play. There would be more of a conversation. But what I don't understand is when you are in this age of analyzing numbers, and looking at all of the different things that factor into winning. And you're this organization that is preaching the fact that you want to be analytical now. Why can't Louis Guillaume get an extended run? 
it does not make sense to me. Because this is a guy who might not have power, and I know I've talked this week about the importance of hitting home runs, and they are very important. But this is a guy who has, since the second half of 2019, since he was promoted in August, he has been an above-average offensive player. If you look at the numbers, that's exactly what he has been. He's a guy that, bare minimum, should be able to get on base at a 350 clip. Bare minimum. He gives you great at-bats. He got a hit again today after pitching. He comes into the game. He might not hit more than two home runs this year if he got extended playing time. But he moves the lineup along. So even if Davis is a better option for the lineup, and he makes your lineup a little bit more dangerous, the difference between J.D. Davis and Guillaume offensively is far less than the difference between Guillaume defensively and Davis at third base. It's just a completely different scale we're talking about here. J.D. Davis can completely torpedo your team if he makes a play like he did tonight. Because in the field, that inability to get a big out when you need a big out, when you have a pitcher that's drowning and he makes the pitch he needs to to get out of a jam like a young pitcher and David Peterson did tonight, you need to have a stable fielder that gives you a chance nine times out of ten to make that play. And unfortunately, what we've seen throughout his career is Davis might make that same play six out of ten times. Or maybe it's seven out of ten times. But you're still leaving yourself with a pretty good possibility that he's going to make a mistake and you're not going to get the outs that you need. And in that spot, when you're trying to turn two, you need quick hands, you need sure hands. And Guillaume has that. So even if Davis fields it cleanly, do I know for sure that he would have gathered it, made a good throw to second, and been able to give McNeil time to turn the double play? Probably not. So even in that instance, even if he got one out, you probably wouldn't have been out of the woods, and maybe Peterson does still blow up. Davis wouldn't have caught as much flack for it, because he at least would have gotten out. But those are the plays that can completely change the entire outlook of a game. And I believe that it hurts you more to have those plays than it helps you on the offensive side. Look, Davis has been good offensively this series, had a home run, had an RBI double today. But one thing he can't do is J.D. Davis can't hit a six-run homer. No matter what the scenario is, he cannot come up to the plate and hit a six-run homer. And to make up for what he did to the Mets tonight by not making that play and not turning two there, that was a six-run swing that just cannot be made up offensively. And so what I've been saying since the offseason is that the Mets should be platooning Guillermain Davis at third. You still get him those at-bats against lefties, and you deal with his defense once a week. But you let Guillermain play the rest of the time because he's going to be stable on both sides for you. And when you have a team as top-heavy as the Mets, they no longer need to squeeze every ounce of power from their lineup because they're already doing that, playing Dom out and left. Dominic Smith, not a great left fielder either. 
I don't know if he's any better in left than, than JD is at third. But you just don't notice it as much when he's out there. He has a weak arm. We've seen it. That doesn't help the Mets in certain spots. There's a play tonight. Fly a ball. Hit to Dom where usually the left fielder is able to make a play and keep the runners at first and second. But because he was out there, the Cubs tested his arm and came up correct as Wilson Contreras was able to get to third base. These are problems the Mets are going to continue to deal with this year. But because Guillerme has performed at such an incredible level offensively since the start of 2020, he has earned the right to get an opportunity to prove that that is sustainable. And ultimately, what needs to happen if the Mets decide to go in that direction is you have a hard conversation with J.D. Davis and you simply say, look, your glove is not at the point where it warrants you being in the starting lineup. That's tough to hear, I'm sure, but there is still a role for you to help this team. And if you have that hard conversation and you explain that you're going to get one at bat every game, J.D., in a spot where you can swing the balance of power in our favor. That is an opportunity to play a critical role. With no DH this year, that first pinch hitter off the bench is vital. And he performed in that role in 2019 before Dominic Smith got hurt. So maybe he can do it again. And that's all I've been campaigning for. Give him his starts against lefties because he mashes lefties. And then put him in that position to be a weapon off the bench. Let Giorme help your entire team throughout the game as an elite defender, and go from there. It's just that simple. Hopefully, at a certain point, the Mets come around to this idea because I'm getting sick of talking about it. I've been talking about it since the beginning of the offseason, and unfortunately, we just have continued to see things not break right for the Mets when it comes to their play at third base. And tonight, they lost the game because of it, and I'll leave it at that. In the next segment, very excited to play a conversation I have with Brian Reiter, the first part of a conversation as part of our new Throwback Thursday segment where we'll take you back in time through Mets history. I'll tell you more about that in just a minute. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Football's been over, but the NBA, the NHL, and Major League Baseball are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. With real-time updated odds, and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online as you covered for all the new scores and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with our promo code Locked On. Again, that's promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. This episode is brought to you by 1010 a capsule collection of diamond rings that are responsibly sourced, limited edition designs at fair price points. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 creative styles of diamond rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Ring sure to bring joy into her life. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 female design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful ring. Ideal for engagement, Mother's Day, or simply a beautiful conversation piece they're the perfect way to bring light into her life, and they're available now through Mother's Day only at BlueNile.com. Just search the words 10 by 10 If you're on the hunt for the perfect unique ring she'll treasure forever, you're definitely going to want to check this out. They won't be around for long, so find them now by searching the words 
10 by 10 only at BlueNile.com. So longtime listeners of this show are very familiar with Brian Ray because he's been a frequent guest on the podcast. Had him on not too long ago to talk about the Mets history on opening day. And what we're doing now is we're going through his first book, which is Mets and Tens, Best and Worst of an Amazing History. I bought a copy on Amazon. You can do the same or wherever else you get your books to kind of read along as we go through the chapters here and kind of touch on all the different elements of Mets history. It's going to be a throwback Thursday segment. Today's we are talking about Richie Ashburn and some of the early Mets when the franchise was first founded. Uh, next week I'll play part two from this specific conversation I had with Brian as we went through 10 of those Mets that are often forgotten. So enjoy it and next week make sure you tune in on Thursday for our follow-up Throwback Thursday segment with author Brian Wright. All right, Mets fans, so we're talking about the Mets in 10s, and one of the first sections of the book is talking about some Mets you might not even know about at the start of this franchise. And I think what's interesting about going through these guys is in some ways they kind of set the tone for what we see throughout the history where you have you know, some guys who can't get run support maybe and lose a lot of games. And you have other guys who maybe hit some home runs but strike out a lot. So uh, what was it about just in general the lovable losers of the early 60s that we're going to talk about today? Yeah, well, Ryan, I think uh, a, a lot of that has to be considered, as you pointed out. Uh, a lot of these players were not did not have a lot of help whether it was a pitcher such as like Roger Craig who got no run support or a pitcher like Al Jackson who is the same, had the same fate. If they were on a different team, they would have far more wins and, and could, wouldn't have to pitch uh, on such a tightrope. And also a lot of hitters, they weren't backed up by a lot of other players in the order. So I think what I was trying to do with this chapter, my goal not only with, with this book, but also with you know Mets All-Time All-Stars, was to highlight every bit of the history of the Mets, was to tell the history of the Mets in a certain way. And you can't do that without talking about the first, you know, six, seven years of the team while while being, you know, mired in the bottom of the standings is part of the team's character. Uh, and there were some players that were that were good and you know the older fans that certainly followed and and loved that was the whole goal of this was to not only shed light on the players uh, that were just fan favorites but also you know were probably obscured because the team was as I said mired in the bottom of the standings for the first six seven years of their existence it's almost like we have a uh, looking at this franchise it's like you have like a BS, like before Seaver, after Seaver, because, you know, he, he was the, the franchise savior that came in that turned the mess into a winning team. And some of these guys who maybe didn't even get to play with him just endured that that initial, you know, wave of losing before the Mets were able to kind of become a respectable franchise. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, Tom Se- in fairness, Tom Seaver's just on a different level, uh, not just with the Mets. But, you know, compared to the all-time greats, I mean, he's, he's discussed there, he's, you know, among the all-time greatest pitchers. So to compare him to a, an Al Jackson is, is certainly unfair because Al Jackson was a good pitcher in his own right, 
very few were like Tom Seaver. Um, but you are right that when Tom Seaver came on uh, as a major leaguer in 1967, I mean, everything changed. And eventually every, you know, measure by which Mets are are judged, uh, the, the, the bar for that was Tom Seaver. It was, and, and you thought none of those bars would be reached until Jacob DeGrom came along. But we'll talk about that, I'm sure, at some point throughout this season. I, I want to talk about some of these guys. The first one, Richie Ashburn, who I obviously knew was a Met. He's more associated as a Philly, clearly only had the one year with the Mets. But what was it like to have some of those kind of, you know, longtime stars of the game pass through the Mets organization at the beginning? So one of the uh, one of the goals that the Mets ownership, uh, Joan Payson and uh, the general manager, George Weiss, they tried to do. Uh, when they when the team was initiated in 1962 was to bring in people because it was a nationally team coming back or coming to New York after the Giants and Dodgers had left uh, was to bring players veterans National League uh, no names that were known throughout the National League um, onto the team whether they were familiar with New York fans or just familiar you know with fans of the of the National League or people who follow the National League. So you had guys like Gil Hodges, who was at the end of his career. Duke Snyder came back to the Mets in 1963. Warren Spahn, who had pitched for so many years with the Braves, came to the Mets, uh, I think, in 63. Um, and then Richie Ashburn is another one of those, as you said, known as a Philly, you know, whole, a Hall of Famer as a Philly. But he came back, and this was actually, 1962 was his last season, and he wound up being the team's MVP, he wound up being their lone all-star. Uh, and batted, you know, 306, had a, had, a, had a good year with their first batter ever, actually, at the leadoff spot in their first game against the Cardinals. He was part of that kind of foundation for what the Mets were trying to do. They knew they weren't going to win. The expansion teams back then were just, just given, you know, very limited resources in terms of being able to build quickly. Uh, the Mets, as it turned out, the Mets wound up, wound up winning quicker than any expansion team at that time. They knew they weren't going to be successful. And so the way to draw people in was to get those familiar faces. And that's what Richie Ashburn was, in addition to being a solid player in his final season. And you had a really interesting anecdote about him being uh, named the team MVP. For Ashburn said about a boat that he got, something pretty uh, interesting there. Yeah, so Richie Ashburn, as, after his playing career, was a longtime uh, announcer uh, for the Phillies as a color analyst. And actually up until he passed away in 1997 and always had great stories. If anyone remembers the story, the Yola Tango story involving Frank Thomas uh, and Ilya Chacon, their shortstop in which Chacon and Ashburn ran into each other because Ashburn couldn't understand Chacon's Spanish and then was told, you know, to say Yola Tango. And he did. And then Frank Thomas ran into him on a fly ball because he didn't, Frank Thomas didn't understand uh, Ashburn. Frank Thomas said that was a Richie Ashburn generated made up story. <laughs> like in his years in broadcasting, he just decided to, to say that. Uh, so it became, you know, folklore. Uh, but yeah, when he got MVP was the team team's MVP in 1962, uh, indicative of the team's uh, success or lack thereof uh, with a 40 and 120 record, he got, uh, a boat, a 24-foot boat, and that boat sank. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's pretty much defined. It was pretty much uh, indicative or fitting 
considering the season uh, that the team had, not considering the season that Ashburn had. It is such a funny story to that he, the way he uh, he told it, and the fact that you know it, that was just what the Mets were at the time. They were a sinking ship that uh, eventually was able to get over that, but it was an expansion team. That's going to be all for today's edition of Locked On Mets. As always, thank you for listening. Make sure you follow, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Finkelstein Ryan and follow the show at Locked On Mets. Also, if you want to get the best NFL draft coverage, make sure you are tuning into everything we have to offer with the Locked On Podcast Network, including the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 presented by Locked On and Odyssey, which is happening now, featuring analysis from NFL experts like Michael Irvin and Brian Baldinger. Our local experts for every team are making trades and picking the next stars of your team. So search the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. Odyssey is your audio home for all the sports podcasts, music, and news that matter to you. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y.